welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Lauren. Um, your literary awards episode last week was fantastic. Thank you very, very much. Very highbrow. Have you written your um, your short, your bad opening line to an all oh, yet? No, I've been really thinking about it, though. Okay. And I think um, I think we're going to knock it out of the park this year. I think we're going to win. Uh, but you know, we're going to go a little lowbrow now. Okay. Uh, and I've been made fun of for this my whole life. Made fun of. Yes. You say. And I've been made fun of for my voice and my accent (laughs) my whole life. And you know what? I've always embraced it. And the reason being is because I am from the great city. She's just gesturing. Like she's gesturing as if she's doing like a, like a fascist speech. (laughs) Wow. Pounding gesturing double hands if anything my my hometown is anything but fascist fascist um today's episode is on the queen city buffalo new york now off the bat i don't think that you have a very strong western new york accent there are just particular words that you say yes that i that or super um, that stand out. Yeah. I had a roommate, Kayla. Hi, Kayla. She doesn't, doesn't listen, listen to this podcast. podcast. Um, but she used to say we were we were best roommates in that we always lived together all through college. She was a great roommate to have. We had the exact same ideas about everything. Like it was a real moment in time for us. But she used to say when I was tired or when I was angry, the buffalo in me came out in like a major way. <laughs> And she was from downstate, so she knew. She could she, she could, could tell. tell. She could tell. So let's begin. This is going to be a love letter to Buffalo. Ah, Buffalo, the queen city, the city of good neighbors, the city of light, Nickel City, or Below, the second largest city in the state of New York, and the ancestral home of yours truly. Um, so first, a little geography for all of you. Uh, Buffalo is in Western New York on the shores of the mighty Lake Erie and the mouth of the Niagara river, which flows northward into Lake Ontario, which is the deepest and grossest of the great lakes, which is where Rochester that's where is. That's where we are. Yeah, that's where we are. Um, Buffalonians are proud to say that Canada is not north of us, but west. And the Niagara river separates the city from Fort Erie, Ontario. And it is Canada is extremely close to Buffalo. Yeah. Uh, at its narrowest point, Niagara River is only a mile wide, which is why many De Buffalonians are intimately familiar with Canadian music and television and vice versa. Um, Niagara Falls, New York, the city, and Niagara Falls, the wonder of the world, is north of the city of Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Um, it is very sad there, but I digress. This is not an episode on Niagara Falls. This is an episode on Buffalo. There are a total of four bridges in the Buffalo-Niagara region that span the Niagara River to Canada. And from north to south, so north up near Niagara Mm -hmm. Falls, they are the Queenston-Lewiston Bridge, which connects Lewiston, New York, to Queenston, Ontario, the Whirlpool Bridge, which is in downtown Niagara Falls, the Rainbow Bridge, which is just south of the Whirlpool Bridge, and that's close to the Seneca-Niagara Casino, and in the city of Buffalo itself, the Peace Bridge, which connects to the city of Fort Erie on the Canadian side. If you are driving from Buffalo to Canada, the best bridge to go across is the Queenston-Lewiston. Take the extra half an hour, drive up to Lewiston, go over that bridge. Because if there's a Bills game on, forget it. The Peace Bridge is clogged oh, for yeah. miles in either direction. 
Very busy. Good advice. Good advice to have. Yeah. Keep that in mind, everybody. So how did the city of Buffalo get the name Buffalo? Yeah. Right. It received its name from a nearby creek, which was called Buffalo Creek. Uh, and British military engineer Captain John Montresor made reference to Buffalo Creek in his 1764 journal, which may be the earliest recorded appearance of the name. Um, there are several theories regarding how Buffalo Creek received its name. It's possible its name originated from French fur traders and Native Americans calling the creek Beau Fleuve, which is French for beautiful river. Yes. The the story is that a French trader like saw it and he exclaimed, uh, beau fleuve, quel beau fleuve, quel beau fleuve. And they were like, did you mean Buffalo? And that's how it got its name. But <laughs> it's also possible that Buffalo Creek was named after the American Buffalo, which I mentioned in a previous episode, which is actually a bison, uh, whose historical range may have extended into Western New York, but okay. no one really knows. Um, a quick land acknowledgement for this episode. Buffalo is on the traditional territory of the Native American Wenronan, Erie, and Haudenosaunee people. Um, just as an FYI, Western New York is part of a Northeast Native American confederacy known as the Five Nations, or Iroquois, as they were known by the French, and traditionally and currently known as the Haudenosaunee, which means people of the Longhouse. They are comprised of the Mohawk tribe, Onondaga, Oneida, Cayuga, and Seneca, with the Tuscarora people who joined after 1722. Um, the Haudenosaunee territories are all across western New York, eastern Canada, and throughout Pennsylvania and Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a large um, Tuscarora, Haudenosaunee, Seneca, Cayuga. All, there's still a very vibrant cultural mm-hmm. representation in this area. The Seneca people own the Seneca Niagara Casino. Um, in Niagara Falls, uh, there are quite a few Seneca people in the Rochester area. Um, there's Ganondigan in the Rochester area, which is a historical museum. And also they have like a fully built longhouse in the Ooh, back, which nice. is really cool. Um, that just opened recently and it's a very beautiful museum. Um, so in, as far as Europeans go, most of Western New York was granted by Charles II of England to the Duke of York, who was later King James II and Seventh. But the first European settlement in what is now Erie County was by the French at the mouth of Buffalo Creek in 1758. Its buildings were destroyed a year later by the evacuating French after the British captured Fort Niagara, and the British took control of the entire region in 1763 at the conclusion of the French and Indian War. The first permanent settlers in present-day Buffalo were Cornelius Winnie, a Dutch trader, and Black Joe Hodges, who was a freed slave, who set up a log cabin store there in 1789 for trading with the Native American community. Uh, The British retained control of the area and prevented further settlement by Americans until their evacuation of Fort Niagara in 1796. Um, Dutch investors purchased the area from the Seneca Native Americans as part of the Holland Purchase. And although other Senecas were involved in ceding their land, the most famous today is Red Jacket, who died in Buffalo in 1830. Hmm. Um, His grave is in Forest Lawn Cemetery. We'll mention Forest Lawn a lot. Forest Lawn is the giant cemetery in the middle of the city of Buffalo. It's very beautiful. My dad would run because he was a marathoner for a long time. He would run and my sister and I would ride bikes and we would like go all over is forest that the one that the interstate cuts yeah. through yes it is the one that the interstate cuts through oh we'll talk about that <laughs> we'll talk about the 33 uh starting in 1801 parcels were sold through the holland land company's office in batavia new york which is not far mm-hmm. from us the settlement was initially called lake erie then buffalo creek and soon shortened to just buffalo uh holland land company agent joseph ellicott christened it new amsterdam but the name didn't catch on there was already a new amsterdam exactly 
1808, Niagara County was established with Buffalo as its county seat, and Erie County was formed out of Niagara County in 1821, retaining Buffalo as the county seat. So Buffalo is currently in Erie County. Niagara Falls is in Niagara County, which is north of Erie County. Got it. In 1804, Joseph Ellicott designed a radial street and grid system that branches out from downtown like bicycle spokes, much like Washington, D.C. On December 30th, 1813, during the War of 1812, Buffalo and the village of Black Rock were burned by the British after the Battle of Buffalo. The battle and subsequent fire was in response to the unprovoked destruction of Niagara-on-the-Lake, then known as Newark, by American forces. Buffalo gradually rebuilt itself and by 1816 had a new courthouse. So upon the completion of the Erie Canal in 1825, Buffalo became the western end of the 524-mile waterway starting at New York City. So it was, Mm, you know, from New York to Buffalo was the Erie Canal. Uh, At the time, Buffalo had a population of about 2,400 people. And with the increased commerce of the canal, the population boomed and Buffalo was incorporated as a city in 1832. On June 1st, 1843, the world's first steam-powered grain elevator was put into service by a local merchant whose name was Joseph Dart Jr. and an engineer, Robert Dunbar. The Dart elevator would remain standing until 1862 when it burned down. Uh, And during the (laughs) 1840s and 1850s, more than a dozen grain elevators were built in Buffalo's Harbor, most of them designed by Dunbar. And there are still an enormous amount of grain elevators along the Buffalo Harbor. It's it's a, a common landscape that sure. you see coming up the the sky yeah freeway i i laughed because you said you know up when the cuz then it burned down like a year later like everything seems to be like they did this and it was great and, and then, then it burned then down, burned down. <laughs> um and then the french came in and they burned everything down and then the canadians yeah. came in and they burned yep. everything down yep um so this mm, is kind of Uh, It's a through line in the history of Buffalo, but we'll get to that. As the anti-slavery movement grew in the U.S., Buffalo emerged as a gathering place for abolitionists. And in 1843, the city served as the site of the Liberty Party Convention and the National Convention of Colored Citizens. Uh, Buffalo was a terminus of the Underground Railroad, an informal series of safe houses for Mm African-Americans escaping slavery in the mid-19th century. And Buffalonians helped many fugitives cross the Niagara River to Fort Erie, Ontario, and freedom. Nice. Uh, there's a statue commemorating this in Lewiston, New York, near the shore of the Niagara River. It was a big deal because mm-hmm. literally, I mean, I mean, you noticed this when we went to Lewis, Lewiston the first time. Like, Canada is there. Like, yeah. you could you could hop in the you river. You could throw a rock at Canada. You could throw a rock at Canada. You could swim easily across the river to Canada. When you got to the shore, there would be a lot of very friendly, <laughs> very stern Canadian uh, border patrol sure. that would escort you back to America, back to America. where I belong. <laughs> On a boat. Um, So in 1860, many railway companies and lines crossed through and terminated in Buffalo. And major ones were the Buffalo, Bradford, and Pittsburgh Railroad, Buffalo and Erie Railroad, and the New York Central Railroad. And during this time, Buffalonians controlled a quarter of all shipping traffic on Lake Erie, and shipbuilding was a thriving industry for the city. Um, At the dawn of the 20th century, local mills were among the first to benefit from hydroelectric power generated by the Niagara River, which made Buffalo the first American city to have widespread electric lighting, yielding it the nickname the City of Light, which is also the title of a book by Lauren Belfer about Buffalo during the early 20th century. It's very good. I highly recommend. Um, And it was also part of the automobile revolution hosting the brass era car builder Pierce Arrow early in the 20th century. Um, electricity was used to dramatic effect at the Pan American Exposition in 1901, which Buffalo Hell hosted. Yeah. 
However, that particular expo was best known for being the site of President William McKinley's assassination on September 6th. He was shot twice in the belly by an anarchist, Leon Zolgos, at the Temple of Music on September 6th. The president died eight days later on September 14th from gangrene caused by the bullet wounds. (sighs) Such a rough way to go. Uh, What's even worse is... The newly developed x-ray machine was displayed at the fair, but doctors were reluctant to use it on McKinley to search for the bullets because they did not know what side effects it might have on him. Also, the operating room at the exposition's emergency hospital did not have any electric lighting, Mm -hmm. even though the exteriors of many of the buildings were covered with thousands of light bulbs. And if that's not a metaphor for the city of Uh, Buffalo, I don't know what it is. And also, like, the best doctor in the city wasn't there Yeah, that he was day. somewhere else. He yeah, was, like, he was over like Niagara Falls or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, doctors used a pan to reflect sunlight onto the operating table as they treated McKinley's wounds. That's how they <laughs> lit the whole thing. Like you're, like, a Roman. Yeah, like, like, it's the dark ages, for heaven's sake. So when McKinley died... Theodore Roosevelt was sworn in at the Wilcox Mansion on September 14th, which is now the Theodore Roosevelt Inaugural National Historic Site and Museum, which is a great museum about the Pan-American Expo and the assassination slash inauguration. So yeah, Theodore Roosevelt became one of the few presidents to be sworn in outside of Washington, D.C. Let's move on to the Great Depression. Um, Shall we? (laughs) The Great Depression, as with many other cities in the U.S., saw severe unemployment, especially among working class men. Um, The New Deal relief programs operated in full force in Buffalo, and the city became a stronghold of labor unions and the Democratic Party. Um, Buffalo City Hall, an Art Deco masterpiece, was dedicated on July 1st, 1932. It's a very beautiful Mm -hmm. building and a very iconic piece of the Buffalo skyline. Uh, During World War II, Buffalo saw the return of prosperity and full employment due to its position as a manufacturing center. Uh, And as one of the most populous cities of the 1950s, Buffalo's economy revolved almost entirely on its manufacturing base, and major companies such as Republic Steel and Lackawanna Steel employed tens of thousands of Buffalonians. However, the city's importance declined in the later half of the 20th century for several reasons, perhaps the most devastating being the opening of the St. Lawrence Seaway in 1957. Goods which had previously passed through Buffalo could now bypass it using a series of canals and locks, reaching the ocean via the St. Lawrence River. And another major toll was suburban migration, which was a national trend at the time. People were moving out of the city and into the suburbs. Um, Race riots rocked the city in 1967, and the city, which boasted over half a million people at its peak, had seen its population decline by some 50% as industries shut down and people left the Rust Belt for the employment opportunities of the South and West. And Erie County has lost population in every census year since 1970. Wow. Yeah, it's no good. Yeah, geez. Buffalo is truly a Rust Belt city. So uh, let's, but let's bring it back up. Okay. Buffalo's architecture is diverse with a collection of buildings from the 19th and 20th centuries. Most structures and works are still standing, such as the country's largest intact parks system designed by Frederick Law Olmsted and Calvert Vaux, which is Delaware Park. A little bit about the reason why Buffalo's architecture is still standing, most of it is, is because um, (laughs) during the time when a lot of other Rust Belt cities or just cities in general were tearing down Mm -hmm. older architecture, um, Buffalo was so poor they couldn't afford to do it. So that's why so many like turn of the century architect, like beautiful examples of architecture are still standing. They were abandoned for a long time. Yeah. But now more recently, like in the past 10 to 20 years, there have been like a big, there's been a big movement toward um, 
re like restoring mm-hmm. restoring a bunch of these buildings so it's really cool and there's like a national architecture association and they come to buffalo every year because of so many great oh that's buildings neat. that are still around um so at the end of the 19th century the guarantee building which was constructed by lewis sullivan who was the mentor of um our boy frank lloyd Almost. wright oh uh, he was a prominent, it was a prominent example of an early high rise skyscraper. So it was like one of the first skyscrapers. Um, I also, when I was an intern at the Darwin D Martin house, which I'm going to mention in, a, in like one second, um, I wrote the tour for the guarantee building because they were going to, they had just restored it and they were planning on doing like a, like mm-hmm. a little historical tour of the building, even though it was still like being used for offices mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. I don't know if they ever used it. They probably... They were like, thank you. And then they probably threw it away. Um, The Darwin D. Martin house designed by Frank Lloyd Wright and built between 1903 and 1905. is considered to be one of the most important projects from Frank Lloyd Wright's Prairie School era. And he referred to it as his magnum opus. And he kept the elevation drawing of it above his desk for the rest of his life. Oh, very cool. Um, That is a cool, if you're ever in Buffalo, go to the Darwin D. Martin house. It's actually a complex of five buildings and um you get a tour of it and it's like back to its original like even the furniture and everything mm-hmm. they restored all of the stained glass that was created for it um and uh yeah it's just like a really cool space and also it's in parkside which is a really beautiful neighborhood designed by frederick law olmstead um and there's good restaurants around there and things so yeah go to the darwin d martin house also, the Larkin Administration Building uh, was Frank Lloyd Wright's first commercial commission, which was downtown Buffalo. Uh, Darwin D. Martin actually hired him to create it because he worked for the Larkin Soap Company. Um, but it was demolished in the 1960s. Ah. So now it's called Larkin Square, and it's a kind of a community space. Mm-hmm. A lot of They host a lot of um, food truck rodeo type things there. Um, the 20th century saw work such as the Art Deco-style Buffalo City Hall, as mentioned before, and Buffalo Central Terminal, uh, uh, yes. which has been abandoned. <laughs> uh, but it's very beautiful. Um, Electric Tower, which is very beautiful. The Richardson Olmsted Complex. So the Richardson, H.H. Richardson Olmsted Complex is a complex in uh, north, just north of the city on Elmwood Avenue. It was built to be a psych ward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... It is now a hotel and conference center. At least part of it is because it's several buildings. Um, I have a a terrible ghost story from my mother about the H. H. Richardson okay. complex. So I actually called her. They're on their way to Florida. And I called her. I was like, can I tell the story on the podcast? She was like, yes, if you get the... the <laughs> if you don't mess it up. Yeah, if you don't mess it up, you get the story straight. So... When my mother was working in at on three East mm-hmm. at the hospital, she had a patient who was going in for pre-op. Okay. And the patient said to my mom, now it's in my chart and everything that I cannot be alone. Okay. You cannot leave me alone. I need to have someone with me when I come out of the, the operation. I need someone to sit with me. Like I, I cannot be alone because I have some, I have severe anxiety mm-hmm. issues. And so my mom was like, don't worry, I will make sure that someone is with you no matter what. If it's not me, it's going to be somebody else. Yeah. Um, but can I ask you what's what's wrong? Why do you need that? So apparently, about five or six years prior to that, this woman was working on a project for radon testing at the H.H. Richardson Complex. Okay. And this was when it was abandoned. It wasn't around. 
So she was working with another guy, her partner, and they were doing radon testing in the basement. And he was like, all right, I'm going to get going. Do you mind? And she was like, oh, yeah, I'm coming too. I'm right behind you. I just need to get whatever, like this Mm -hmm. thing. So he goes up the stairs to the top. And apparently there's like a little hang tag thing over the door that says like someone's in here. He forgot to put the hang tag up because he thought she was like literally right behind him. He leaves, goes away. The hang tag thing is gone. The security guards who were like there to like lock up and everything didn't see the hang tag, locked her in there and shut off the lights. And this was on a Friday. So of she's, course it's on a Friday. Of course it's on a Friday. So she she said it was so dark she couldn't see her hand in front of her face. She was in like the full like gear, yeah. like the protective gear suit. And she said that in they used to keep like the especially bad psych patients mm-hmm. in the basement uh-huh. and they would keep them chained to the wall and they would put hay on the floor. And she said while she was in there, she she would just curled up near the door mm-hmm. and like banged on the door and screamed and yelled and made as much t- noise as she possibly could. But there's no one around in that mm-hmm. whole complex. She was there all weekend. <gasps> she said she heard the chain scraping along the floor. She heard hay moving. She said she was never the same again. She didn't have no cell, cell service because yeah. this was like 2005 or yeah. whatever. She didn't have any family. She lived alone. She had no family in the area. And she was there all weekend. And she said, there's something. She was like, I was never somebody who believed in ghosts or anything like that. But after that, she was like, it changed my life forever. So she was locked in an abandoned psych ward in the basement. In the basement. For 72 hours. For 72 hours. With no food, no no water, no lights, nothing. Is that not the most horrifying thing you've ever heard? So my mom's telling me the story because I had heard it before. Yeah. Years ago, but I wanted to get the, the story straight. I'm listening to it on the phone and my mom was like, yeah, it's, she was like, that has stayed with me my whole life. It is like, that's such a terrible story. Pause. My dad goes, I don't believe it. <laughs> I don't, come on. I don't believe it. So I was like, of course you don't. Whatever. This isn't about you. I'm telling the story on the podcast. So now that the H.H. Richardson complex is now is a hotel. A hotel in which you can voluntarily stay oh, for yeah. 72 hours. You couldn't pay me enough. Uh-huh. You couldn't pay anybody. I guarantee like locals, local Buffalonians are like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because they used to, there was like, like rogue, like, you know, uh, ghost hunters and yeah. like urban explorers and things that would go in there all the time mm-hmm. and take pictures and stuff. Actually, there are a lot of like really beautiful pictures of it, yeah. but it was like abandoned. Like there are still wheelchairs in the hallways and like beds and sheets on the beds and pillows and stuff it's crazy but it's a very beautiful complex um very beautiful super haunted super haunted so do not stay there um anyway back to beautiful architecture um urban renewal from the 50s and 70s gave way to the construction of the brutalist style buffalo city court building and one seneca tower which is formerly the hsbc center the city's tallest building my dad used to work in that when he was a banker. I didn't know your dad was a banker. Oh, my dad was a banker. When? Uh, In the late 70s. He was a banker before he was a firefighter? Yeah, yeah. I can't picture your dad he wanted to be wearing a, CPA. a suit on purpose. Oh, I know. He wanted to be a CPA. He went to school to be a CPA. This is brand new information. I know, right? <laughs> That's why he does all their taxes. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, he was a banker for HSBC. But it didn't pay well enough. And then mom and dad got married and then mom got pregnant with me and he had to make more money so he 
went to the NFTA. Niagara Frontier Transit Authority. Just FYI. All right, let's talk about the snow. Let's. T- I mean, uh, it's time to talk about the snow. Yeah. If okay, Please. for people that don't live in New York State, uh, I didn't live in New York for many years. Of course not. And then when I moved to Rochester for my job, I didn't know anything about Rochester other than it snows a lot, and I was right. Yep. And I remember reading about the Golden Snowball Award. Yep. Golden Snowball Award. Yeah. Uh, and so basically like my whole impression of of Buffalo, Rochester, Syracuse was just, it snows a lot. Yeah. So. Um, you're not wrong. Uh, Buffalo has a reputation for being the snowiest mm-hmm. city, right? But Rochester is consistently the snowiest city in the U.S. from winter to winter, with Syracuse not far be- behind. <sighs> That's really obnoxious. I uh, didn't know that stat. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you why in a second. <laughs> so, however, when the circumstances are right, which happens every so often, mm-hmm. Buffalo gets absolutely socked. Oh, yeah. Socked in a major way, and it's called lake effect, which is a phrase that strikes socked. fear in the hearts of Western New Yorkers it's all over the lake country. Lake effect. So what happens is, lake effect, just as an FYI, cold air comes down from Canada, mm-hmm. and it rushes across the lakes. And what happens is, if the lake is not frozen... The, the cold air picks up all of this moisture from the lake and then dumps it, boom, yeah. right as close to wherever it is as possible once it gets like full of moisture. So if the circumstances are right where the air is dry enough and the, way, the lake is warm enough, it will pick up a lot of moisture yeah. and dump it, boom, immediately right on the shore, which is Buffalo. There was, um, it was probably about three or four years ago, right before Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. that like people, you know, you could tweet about it and stuff. They were taking pictures from skyscrapers in Buffalo yep. of the impending snow, yep. like that was called apocalypse. Snow- yeah, that, that was, was called coming. Snowvember. Yeah, and I have a whole paragraph oh, okay. about it. I didn't want to. I didn't mean to jump it. No, but. no, please, we'll talk about it. So um, the reason why Rochester and Syracuse get more snow than Buffalo is because. Different lake. Different lakes. So the air comes across Lake Erie is at, to the west and Lake Ontario is to the north. So they're like New York State, the, that like L part of New York State is like between those two lakes. So when the cold air rushes across, it picks up not only from Lake Erie, but also Lake Ontario. Mm-hmm. And it dumps it at the meeting point of that, which tends to be Rochester, Syracuse. You know, the it's... It's like when they founded this place, they must have came in like <laughs> May. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they, they were like, this is a beautiful it's land. Gorgeous. It's beautiful. Yeah. We're never leaving. Exactly. And then I don't know what happened Six eight months, months later. later, but. Yep, exactly. So that is what happens most often. But you will hear, this is a phrase that you will only hear in the Western New York is freeze, baby, freeze. Every time the winter comes, people go freeze, baby, freeze, meaning the lakes. Freeze, lakes freeze. Come on, baby, freeze. And Lake Erie freezes completely solid more often than Lake mm-hmm. Ontario because Lake Ontario is deeper. deeper. Exactly. So, so many times I've seen on social media people taking pictures of the lake and being like, freeze, baby, freeze. We don't want, we, I need to get to work tomorrow. You know, that kind of thing. So, um, many Buffalonians and people living in the Southern Ontario region remember the blizzard of 77 which hit the region from January 28th to February 1st of that year. Daily peak wind gusts ranged from 46 to 69 miles per hour, which is 74 to 111 kilometers per hour. And that was recorded by the National Weather Service in Buffalo. 
with snowfall as high as 100 inches or 254 <laughs> centimeters recorded in areas. And the high winds blew this into drifts of 30 to 40 feet or 9 to 12 meters. That doesn't seem possible. Right? Um, there were 23 total storm-related deaths in Western New York <gasps> with five more in Northern New York. Um, Dave Tag worked for Marine Midland Bank at the time and he had to spend the night at the office. Mom was home, so, quote, it wasn't a big deal. <laughs> There you have it. Yeah, there you have it. Uh, <laughs> the blizzard of 77 was such a big deal that Jimmy Buffett referenced it in a song called Manana. Uh, two books have been written about it called The Blizzard by Robert Baer and White Death, The Blizzard of 77 by Erno Rossi. That's a little... <laughs> I mean, people died, you know. Um, a board game called The Blizzard of 77 Travel Game was created after the storm, and in it, the players drive around the board trying to collect goods, such as groceries. They go to the bank, work, drugstore, and hardware, with two safe spots of home and the gas station before the storm hits. Once the storm hits, the board is flipped over to the blizzard side, and the players must continue in blizzard conditions. So it sounds like a fun game. Um, a more recent storm from November 13th to the 21st, 2014, was nicknamed Snowvember. And many places received snow of up to seven feet. Yeah. Uh, they called the National Guard, and it required more manpower than any other snowstorm in the history of New York State. Thousands of people were stranded from their homes. Many were stuck on the, in their cars on the 90 downtown. Mm-hmm. People had to like leave their cars, or people were like, like walking in and like bringing supplies, like blankets yeah. and food and water and that kind of thing for for days. Mm-hmm. Uh, eight. Months after the storm, the snow's remnants still remained in Buffalo. That's July. Yeah. That's July of 2015. There was still snow. It's out of control. Okay. Let's move on to sports. Dad, you can mute this part. I'm not going to be mad. Buffalo and the surrounding region is home to three major leagues professional sports teams. The NHL's Buffalo Sabres and the National Lacrosse League's Buffalo Bandits both play in the Key Bank Center while the NFL's Buffalo Bills play in suburban Orchard Park, New York, where they have been since 1973. The Bills, we'll just start with the Bills, we'll just get it over Mm -hmm. with. Established in 1959, played in War Memorial Stadium until 1973 when Rich Stadium, now New Era Field, opened. Locals still call it the Rich or the Ralph Wilson Stadium. Mm -hmm. The city of Buffalo brought home its two major league sports titles when the Bills won the American Football League Championship in both 1964 and 1965. The team competes in the AFC East, and the Bills currently have 10 division titles to their name. Since the AFL and NFL merger in 1970, the Bills have won the AFC Championship four times in 1990, 1991, 92, and 93, and to date, they have the record for the most consecutive Super Bowl appearances. And this was during the famed Marv Levy, Jim Kelly era. People were like, people still revere. Oh, they talk about it like he's a saint. Marv. Yeah. Saint Marv. Uh, also, a fun little tidbit. During the run of X-Files, there was a throwaway line from the smoking man who is seen to have orchestrated everything from the Rodney King trial to the Miracle on Ice hockey match to the Oscars. <laughs> he says, quote, what I don't want to see is the Bills winning the Super Bowl. As long as I'm alive, that doesn't happen. <laughs> Which is great. Like, there's like a little kind of through line that he, for some reason, and has, has not explained, that he hates the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> the Sabres, established in 1970, played in the Buffalo Memorial Auditorium until 1996 when Marine Midland Arena, now Key Bank Center, opened. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, the team plays in the Atlantic Division of the NHL, and the team has won one President's Trophy and three Prince of Wales trophies, which are conference championships. Still good. President's Trophy is the highest points in a season. Yeah. So that was 2006, 2007 <laughs> during their like real peak time. I remember that. That was... Yeah. However, unlike the Bills, the Sabres do not have a league championship, having lost the 1975 Stanley Cup to the Philadelphia Flyers and the 1999 Stanley Cup to the Dallas Stars. I, re- I remember the 99 one. Oh, yeah. Clearly, I wasn't alive for the other one. But we, yeah. Uh, the first one that they that they lost, mm-hmm. that was right when they had the French Connection line. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I think those were, that was like 72 to 79. Um, that was center Gilbert Perrault. And left winger Rick Martin or Rick Martin or Rick Martin. Rick Martin. Uh, maybe if you're French, it's Martin. And then right wing was uh, Rennie Robert. Yes. So. And the 70s were, again, the Buffalonians revere it. There's like the 70s Sabres was a big deal. Yeah. That was also uh, Tim Horton played for the Sabres around that time. He wasn't very good. No, no. <laughs> but he's, he's made a lasting impression, yeah, hasn't he, he? He died tragically and started a line he of coffee shops. He was on a lot of drugs when he ran his car into a one single car crash. Yeah. But, you know, people seem to like his, his coffee. coffee. Yeah. Uh, Tim Horton's is big around here, just as an <laughs> FYI, everybody. And every time they roll up the rim to win... Uh, contest comes through that's also like a oh, yeah. very buffalo that's also thing. very strange to people who are unfamiliar with with such a concept uh with the roll up the rim folks <laughs> yeah oh yeah please. they get you get your paper coffee cup yes and it you know how like with the mcdonald's stuff they would have like a you peel the thing off the front of the mm-hmm. label or like maybe there's a special sticker on the bottom of your cup Nope, this is, you have to finish drinking your cup and then you take the little paper rim of the cup and you work hard to roll it up. It's and a lot. maybe there's, a, is it words? Is it a code? Is it? It's words. And I've won several cups of coffee from the roll up to the rim. And, and it's donuts. just a very weird concept. Oh, yeah. If you're not weird. familiar with unrolling your own paper cup to win a prize. Yeah, as far as I know, they're the only like, fast food chain coffee chain that question does mark. this as like like that particular yeah. like rolling up the rim and it's always wet yes that's what i'm saying <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like very gross. weird like you're not going to roll it up while you still have a full cup of coffee yeah so you have to continue drinking your paper <laughs> cup of coffee yeah. and then you roll up the rim that's uh, so gross um so since 2014 both the Bills and the Sabres have been owned by Terry Pagula, who is a key investor in Buffalo's revitalization efforts. And many Buffalonians, including my father, revere Pagula as the only person keeping both franchises <laughs> in Buffalo. Because every year when this when the season ends and the Sabres did terribly or the Bills did terribly or failed to win something or whatever, there's always a rumor that goes around that it's like, that's it. They're moving the Bills to Canada. That's what's happening. There's more money up there. Yeah. They're going to do it. Or they're moving the Sabres. Does Canada want them? I don't know. I don't know if Canada wants them. I mean, there's plenty of Bills fans in Canada. I mean, they drive over the border all the time yeah. to see games. So I don't know. I don't know how realistic it is. But people, there was a, a lot of times that be, you hear people in bars that are like, yeah, they're leaving the next five years. There's no way. We're not going to keep the, the Bills here. It's a shame. Um, the Buffalo Bandits 
were established in 1992 and played their home games in Buffalo Memorial Auditorium until 1996 when they followed the Sabres to Marine Midland. Um, They have won eight division championships and four league championships. Um, That was in 92, 93, 96, and 2008. My uncle went to a Bandits uh, championship game when they won. I think it was either the 2008 or the 1996 one. Mm -hmm. And he said... The fans went insane. Yeah. People were like running all over the city of Buffalo. Ripping their shirts off. Jumping on cars, hanging on light posts, just (laughs) losing it. And he said he remembers watching these people just celebrate like crazy people. And he was like, this is for lacrosse. (laughs) I can't imagine if the Bills won the Super Bowl, the city of Buffalo would burn to the ground just in in sheer joy because it's been so long. So let's talk about the Buffalo Braves. They don't exist anymore. Okay. Um, The Buffalo Braves played in the NBA from 1970 to 1978 with their home games held at the Buffalo Memorial Auditorium. And after the team struggled financially, it relocated to California and became the San Diego Clippers. Oh, Uh, you can still get like a, like a vintage brave shirt in some hipster boutiques on Elmwood Mm -hmm. Avenue, which is also known as the strip. Buffalo is also home to several minor sports teams, including the Buffalo Bisons, which is baseball. They're an affiliate of the MLB's Toronto Blue Jays and have been since 2014. Uh, FC Buffalo, which is soccer, as well as professional women's team, the Buffalo Buttes, which is hockey. And the Buffalo Buttes were the NWHL champions in 2017 and have appeared in all four NWHL finals. So they're very good. Let's talk about Buffalo food. Yes. Hell yeah. Very, it's all very healthy. It's extremely healthy. We're a very healthy group of people for, you know, even though we're mostly Polish and Italian, it's just, you know, it's a lot of quinoa. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. A lot of wheat grass. Yeah. (laughs) Wheat grass. No. The buffalo wing. The chicken wing. Uh, It was invented in 1964 at the Anchor Bar in Buffalo by Teresa Bellissimo, who co-owned the bar with her husband, Frank. Frank Bellissimo. There are several versions of the story of how the chicken wing was created. One involves their son, Dominic, arriving late at night with a bunch of his friends, and she tossed the dish together since that was the only thing around. Um, Also, another involves Dominic asking his mom to make it one night as a treat for Catholic patrons who had been drinking in the bar all night since they were able to eat meat at midnight. Mm Mm-hmm. Still another involves a misdelivery of wings instead of chicken backs and necks for the restaurant spaghetti sauce, and Frank asked Teresa to do something with them. Either way, it's deep-fried chicken wings tossed in a vinegar-based cayenne pepper hot sauce and melted butter and served with celery and carrot sticks and blue cheese dressing for dipping. A true Buffalonian does not eat their chicken wings with ranch dressing. No. Boo. Also, a true chicken wing is not breaded. Anchor Bar originated them, but Duff's perfected them. So Duff's has the best chicken wings. But if you want to go, like, if you want to try a chicken wing, like the original chicken wing mm-hmm. location, it's Anchor Bar downtown. And it's a cool place. They got a bunch of, like, buffalo stuff on the walls. It's still, like, a cute, fun restaurant. Also, you got Beef on Weck, or Beef on Wick. Yeah. It's sliced roast beef and au jus on a Kimmelweck roll. Delicious. Delicious. Salty. Salty. A little bit of caraway seed. Delightful. Sponge candy. That's a local delicacy. Julia does not like sponge candy because she is not uh, from here. Not right in the head. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Shots fired. Yeah. Shots fired over sponge candy. I love it. On the West Coast, apparently it's called seafoam candy. I've never heard of this. Either way, it's honeycomb toffee coated in chocolate. 
I think it's delicious. Buffalo is also big. You can get it with milk chocolate, dark chocolate, or orange chocolate. Orange chocolate's really big in the Buffalo area. You didn't like orange chocolate. I don't like orange chocolate. I'm 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 just saying it's big in the Buffalo area. I'm not saying I I like it. Um, Loganberry. Yeah. Uh, Loganberry, the drink, is only known in Buffalo, Southern Ontario. Yeah. It is a real fruit that is a hybrid of raspberry and blackberry, which was created in 1881 by horticulturist James Harvey Logan. Due to its high vitamin C content, the Loganberry was used by British Navy at the beginning of the 20th century as a source of vitamin C to prevent sailors from getting scurvy. Uh, Loganberry, the drink, became popular after being sold at the amusement park in Crystal Beach, Ontario. And there's still a brand of Loganberry drink called Crystal Beach Loganberry. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's still sold at local restaurants and fast food places like Mighty Taco and Jim Stakeout. Uh, Loganberry is a non-carbonated soft drink. Mm-hmm. You can also get like a Loganberry milkshake. Uh, yeah, Loganberry is a big deal. Yeah, Loganberry milkshakes are good. It's um, refreshing. A um, couple of local joints, Mighty Taco, you can get a super mighty with uh, chips and some cheese, and it's delicious. Jim Steakout, which is everybody's favorite place to go after drinking all night because it's open all night long. Paula's Donuts make the best donuts. Town Restaurant Downtown is Greek. Chef's makes just everything delicious. They make, uh, it's called Spaghetti Parmesan, which is basically spaghetti with sauce covered in a thick layer of mozzarella cheese. And it's <laughs> wonderful. Um, Ted's hot dogs. Yeah, I was going to say Ted's. Ted's hot dogs. So you get Texas hots, uh, which are not from Texas. I think it was originated by like a Greek guy. Um, but they're like foot long. You can get like a regular red hot. You can get a white hot. You can get skinless hot dog, mm-hmm. apparently. And also you can get a bunny dog, which is just a carrot stick that yeah, you roast. Red hot and white hot are very Western New York terms yeah. for hot dogs too. Yeah. Like there's... Uh, like a red hot is more what you think of when you think of like a a hot dog, like a pink hot dog. Is, yeah, red is like what they would call a red pork, a red hot here. But then there's a version of it called a white hot, which mm-hmm. is more of like a white looking hot dog. But it's more like a it's more like a type of sausage. Yeah, I it's think, like pork than, sausage, chicken yeah. sausage, something like that. It depends on what, but th- it has not a my different favorite. taste. Yeah, it does. It's not my my personal fave. Mm-hmm. I'm a red hot gale through and through. Ted's also has really good um, onion rings. Ugh, delicious. Um, also, Charlie the Butcher, that's like, he's the guy, the originator of the beef on weck. Like, if you want good beef on weck, go to Charlie the Is Butcher. Is that a butcher shop or a restaurant? Both. Okay. Um, and then there's Chevetta's Chicken, which uh, is a local chain of, like, ch- roasted grilled chickens and the... The thing is their delicious marinade that they put on. It's like a vinaigrette-based marinade that also makes for a delicious salad dressing. And um, you can buy Chevetta's chicken marinade at Wegmans, and it's delicious. It's delicious. You're getting nods of approval from around the room. Great, great, great. Um, In 2015, the National Geographic Society ranked Buffalo third on their list of the world's top 10 food cities. After what? I'm sorry. I said it after doesn't what? It doesn't matter. <laughs> I want to know who they were, who they investigated I mean, it was probably that year. New York and Chicago or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no one's naming London in the top 10. You know what I mean? Hmm, Yikos. Wow. Uh, Buffalo. Sorry. Sorry. I forgot we have British listeners. <laughs> sorry, everybody. Buffalo's great, though. Buffalo has several well-known food companies. 
non-dairy whip topping was invented in Buffalo in 1945. Ooh, my favorite. <laughs> yep. Non-dairy whip mm. topping. All right. Uh, uh, it was invented by Robert E. Rich Sr. And his company, Rich Products, is one of the city's largest private employers. Not James D. Cool Whip. No, not James D. Cool Whip. <laughs> Hyphenated. <laughs> Um, General Mills was organized in Buffalo and gold metal bread flour, Wheaties, Cheerios, and other General Mills brand cereals are manufactured here. In fact, growing up, I grew up in Kenmore, which mm-hmm. is the uh, closest suburb to the city of Buffalo. And on the right day, you could smell Cheerios all through the city because of General Mills being on the shore. Could be worse. Oh, yeah, definitely could be worse. Um, Archer Daniels Midland operates its largest flour mill in the city. Uh, Buffalo is home to one of the world's largest privately held food companies, which is called Delaware North Companies, which operates concessions in sports arenas, stadiums, resorts, and many state and federal parks. Um, The Taste of Buffalo and the National Buffalo Wing Festival showcase food from the Buffalo area. Taste of Buffalo is great. It's huge. It's like the biggest taste that I have ever like been to. Um, And the Buffalo Wing Festival is uh, hosted by the bisons in there you weren't allowed to call it a buffalo wing um because it's in buffalo wow i'm getting a lot of the buffalo space wing Wing festival wing festival national buffalo Buffalo wing Wing festival no 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 if you are in buffalo it's called the chicken wing or a wing why would you call a buffalo wing you're already there that's what i'm saying yeah exactly um here's some fast facts (laughs) buffalo has the highest polish population outside of poland and that is why there are one so many polish restaurants and bars and two Dingus Day. Fast fact. (laughs) Let's talk about Dingus Day. Yeah. It it is always celebrated on Easter Monday. You go to the Broadway market in the Fruit Belt and get some Krushik, eat some pierogies and some kielbasi, watch the Dingus Day Parade and basically witness the representative Buffalo Polish population cut loose and get drunk on a Monday morning. It's glorious and it's awful. We went. We went. We (laughs) could. Okay. So when we went, it was possibly the worst possible weather to be... Anywhere. Anywhere. Outside. It was like raining. It was like freezing rain horizontally yes. at our faces, no matter what direction we faced. <laughs> we had to buy cheap ponchos. We bought some ponchos. It was ice cold. We stood we stood in some some very uh some very uh homegrown bars, I would say. Yeah, some it was real... definitely like this is Al's living room and we're just <laughs> Standing here with everybody else. Yeah, drinking a beer. Drinking watching, a beer. Watching people. I have several videos on my phone of people like dancing, it's but like, also doing it's like, like 11 in, in the morning <laughs> and like doing invisible jump rope. Like, do you remember that? They were like, there was like invisible jump rope and people kept jumping in and they were like encouraging each other. Ooh. It was out of control. Um, we were like, we're not drunk enough for this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 11 in the morning. Um, we saw the, the parade. The parade was great. The parade was probably my favorite part. There, so every Polish family in Buffalo sponsored a truck. Yeah. And they just wrote their name on the front of the truck. And then, like, people stood in the, you know, in the cab. And threw out candy. And threw out candy. And they were throwing candy into the streets. And it had been snowing and slash freezing raining at us yeah. for all day long. So the gutters were wet. But they were still throwing candy and it would land in the gutter and children would still Run. scramble after it. And, and grab the, the candy. wet candy and out it. of the gutters. And it was... And we were like, that's not good. <laughs> this shouldn't be done. But there was uh, um, the composer. Chopin. Uh, yeah, there was Chopin. There was a guy dressed as Chopin. And his anthropomorphic piano. And he had an anthropomorphic piano. And then there was the Polish clown. 
who was horrifying. Do you remember the Polish clown? I don't. I think I blocked them <laughs> out. Blocked it out. I have a picture on my phone that comes up every so often. Like here's some memories from 2015 or whatever. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it was just like a really terrible day. At one point, like the wind was blowing into our faces, like shooting needles of ice yeah. into our eyes. And you looked at me and you went, what are we <laughs> doing? As we walked by a dead rat on yes, the sidewalk. Yes. There's no other humans on the street. We're like, <laughs> it was terrible, but it was also super fun. Never again. We'll have those memories. Yeah. We'll always have those memories because we're never doing it again. Um, but yeah, Dingus Day. Dingus Day is also <laughs> celebrated in Macedon, uh, New York, Cleveland, Ohio, South Bend, Indiana, and Pasadena, California. Little pockets of Polish um, groups. Anyway, Dingus Day, basically, it's like, it's always celebrated after Easter Sunday. It's Easter Monday. They do like a processional thing. They like march around the church. Um, boys dunk girls in water to like bring about the the springtime or like have a good harvest like traditionally mm-hmm. so it, it ends up being like uh, people like squirt each other with squirt guns mm-hmm. basically is like a holy water thing and um pussy willows you beat each other with pussy willows and then the girls give a boy the boys a fish um and that's all i know about when lauren t- first explained this to me <laughs> i thought she was doing like a like a uh improv sketch yeah at I w- me. you thought i was jagging you yeah. but i wasn't jagging you it's a real thing, and you witnessed it. Yeah. We bought some pussy willows. We did. And then we gave away those pussy willows, yeah. and we felt good about ourselves. We got, we did everything we wanted to do. We ate a pierogi. We ate some krushik. We saw the parade, and we bought some pussy willows. Yep. And we went to a Polish bar, and that was all that needed to be done. All right, let's talk about the voice. Let's talk about the buffalo slang. Okay. You have just some terminology. Mm-hmm. There's the north towns and the south towns. Oh, he's from the North Towns. He's from Williamsville. He's from the South Towns. He's from Lackawanna. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, a true Buffalonian will put an article in front of a highway. So what highway would you take to get to work, Julia? I guess I would take, I could take 495. Oh, see, I would, would take say, the 495. Uh-huh. So it's the 90, the Kensington Expressway. This is how you can tell the born and breds mm-hmm. from the transplants. Also, Buffalonians are the only ones who can pronounce Skajakwita, the Skajakwita Expressway that runs along the, the shore of Niagara River. Uh, the Chip Strip, which is the, Ch- the Chippewa, runs uh, west to east um, between um, Delaware and Elmwood, and that's where all the bars are. And uh, bars in Buffalo, historically, are open till 4 a.m. Ah. Yeah. So uh, The witching hour. The witching hour, yes. <clears throat> Also, as I mentioned before, use or use guys. That's a Buffalo thing for sure. Western New York thing saying use instead of y'all or all of you use use guys. Uh, Also, Jenny or Jenny Screamers. Uh, Jenny Screamers is um, Genesee Cream Ale. Um, And they're called Jenny Screamers because of their uh, laxative. It's laxative property. I didn't know that. I just thought it was just like a play on words of cream. But no, they're called Jenny Screamers. Uh, Also, um, carbonated beverages in Buffalo are called pop. Yep. Not soda. Um, the most, the, the way to tell that someone is from Buffalo is by letting them say this phrase. Are you ready? Frank and Joanne ran down transit from Amherst to Lancaster. Can you hear it? I'm going to do. A, especially after a hard C. Yeah. 
is when you Calendar. sound the most. Yeah. Um, Buffalo is best known for the flat A sound and the dental defricative, which is like dis dare. So um, the accent is lightly Chicago. And depending on whether you're Italian or Polish tends to shift a little. So for example, a Buffalo Polish person might say something like this. Gordy, you dupa, you have to hook up the fire hose before you open the hydrant there. Okay. She's covering her face. An Italian, you ready for this? <clears throat> Jesus, Antony, Novus put friggin' anchovies on this pizza. Fango. Holy so there's a mackerel. <laughs> Holy mackerel. Also, bah. So you'll hear my dad say it a lot. I was telling Steve about this, and he was like, you're just doing an impression of your father. I was like, no, you think it's dad, but it's not. It's all of Buffalo. Uh-huh. So bah is like a dismissive noise. Like a, like a, ah, like, ah, get out of here. So it's usually accompanied by a hand wave. Like you're pushing someone out of the way. Bah, you don't know nothing. <laughs> so this accent is technically called Buffalo English. Um, and it's, if that's what you want to call it. Yeah. And it's widely known by um, linguists mm-hmm. as the Northern Lakes accent. And variations are heard as far west as Chicago and only as far east as Syracuse. So it's called Northern Lakes. It is probably the least attractive American accent you can possibly get. You know, <clears throat> like no French person is like, oh, I want to hear the Buffalo English accent. It is so beautiful. Like no one, <laughs> no one wants this. <clears throat> so every so often, yeah, calendar is a word that that's is a trigger word. Yeah, it's you. a trigger word. Calendar. Uh Anyway, and Anthony, I have a coworker named Anthony who does not want to be called Tony, which I can respect, mm-hmm. but um, because he seems to me, and he's not, he's Irish, but he seems to me like like a paisan, paisan. you know, like he's my paisan. So every time I see him, I'm like, hey, Anthony, and he hasn't he hasn't corrected me on that yet, I think. So he's going to remain being Anthony, and he doesn't listen to this podcast, so it's fine. <clears throat> and in closing, let's talk about famous people from Buffalo. Oh, please. 13th president Millard Fillmore was born and raised in East Aurora. Uh, your boy Grover Cleveland, who was the 22nd and 24th president. Buffalo and, hangman. Yep. He was the mayor of Buffalo in 1881. Uh, Shirley Chisholm, who was the first black woman elected to Congress and the first black woman presidential candidate, lived in Buffalo and is buried at Forest Lawn. Oh, uh, actress Christine Baranski. Oh, act- yes. Yeah. When you go to the Shays Theater in Buffalo, they have a big portrait on the wall. Yeah. And uh, Shays Theater in Buffalo, the interiors were designed by um, Lewis Comfort Timfordy. So it's a beautiful theater. However, I don't understand how anybody went to the restroom. Oh, no. They peed in the the 19th century because there's like two ladies rooms. There's like four stalls. One's on the top floor. One's One's on the the bottom. Yep. Best of luck to you. You got 10 minutes. Exactly. Um, Wendy Malick is also from Buffalo. Oh, hey. Yeah. Kyle Chandler is from Buffalo. Yeah. Is he? Yes. David Boreanaz is from Buffalo. Yeah. Jesse. You know what? I can see that. He looks like he's from Doesn't Buffalo. he look like he's from Buffalo? It's that, it's that big forehead of his. <laughs> um, Jesse L. Martin, who was in the original cast oh. of Rent and also on Law, Law and Order. Order. Jesse L. Martin is from Buffalo. Chad Michael Murray is from Buffalo. Uh, our friend Celeste works with his brother. I think uh, Ed Roswell, Brad, Brad Michael Murray. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. She works with Brad yeah. Michael Murray. Uh, Mark Twain lived in Buffalo for a long time. Um, Ani DeFranco still lives here. Started yes, Righteous Babe Records that. and Babe Land. Mm-hmm. She lives on Bird Street. 
Um, to this day, if you're like walking around the Elmwood Avenue neighborhood and you hear somebody playing guitar, she sits on her porch and plays guitar. You can say, Hey Annie. And she goes, Hey, like she's just a nice person that everyone gets along with. Uh, author Joyce Carol Oates is from Buffalo. Rick James lived here his whole life and he's buried at Forest Lawn. Um, the band, the Goo Goo Dolls is from, are from Buffalo. Um, I talked to Robbie Takik on the phone when I was working for the Buffalo News. He's a lovely guy. He started the um, Fringe Festival in Buffalo. Oh, cool. Uh, Brian McKnight is from Buffalo. Uh, Terry Gross of Fresh Air went to UB and lived in Buffalo for a while. Uh, the band Spyro Gyra. Uh, artists Charles Birchfield with there's the Charles Birchfield, Birchfield Art Penny, Center. Right? Mm-hmm. Birchfield Penny Art Center. Um, and Cindy Sherman, artist Cindy Sherman, went to UB and lived in Buffalo for a long time. Also, uh, really great museum, Albright Knox Art Museum in Buffalo, has a fantastic modern art collection um, and is just a really great museum. So that was my quick and dirty on the city of Buffalo. The city of Buffalo. Yeah. Visit Buffalo, you guys. It's great. Food is good. Um, lots of good food from all over the world. Uh, there, I remember I went to a... Um, African West African restaurant there and had goat for the first time and it was delicious that Somali restaurants there's obviously like Italian Irish Polish German uh, like every possible different type Indian food really great Indian food Chinese uh, Thai Filipino food yeah it's great just one last thing on the accent please before I moved here um, my friend Kathleen who's also from Buffalo let me know that that I would be hearing such a thing. And oh, yeah. that they pronounce her name Kathleen, Kathleen. up here. Yeah, Kathleen. Yeah, your good buddy Kathleen. <laughs> oh, also, um, when you drive into the city of Buffalo, when you come and visit us, we are the city of good neighbors, so we will welcome you with open arms. Um, there is a sign that says Buffalo, an all-America city. Mm-hmm. And that is actually an award presented by the National Civic League. And has been presented to communities all over the United States since 1949. There's been over 500. And it's basically like an award for uh, a city or a community that has uh, done good good civic good in their region. Okay. So Buffalo is an all-America city. Buffalo is known as the city of good neighbors. And it is true, like, especially if there's like a Sabres game on or a Bills game on. Like, I have definitely been in a bar, like, eating chicken wings alone especially when i was an intern well when i was an intern i had to go like i cannot picture you sitting in a bar eating chicken wings alone okay look in my 20s it was a dark time no uh when i worked for the buffalo news there was a lot of times that i had to go out on my own and like interview people or whatever so i would like eat lunch by myself or like i'd be waiting for somebody to meet me or whatever and if there was a game on like and they scored Mm -hmm. like forget it you were hugging people around you you're like high-fiving the bartender like everybody's your buddy and you feel like, yeah, it's like family. Buffalo's like family, especially downtown Buffalo. I mean, come on. It's great. She's so happy. I love it. I love Buffalo. <sighs> Not going to move there, though. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Buffalo. You won't get me back. Um, so my quiz is called, What Do You Think You're Better Than Me? A quiz on Rust Belt cities. Question number one. This seventh largest city in Michigan is the birthplace of General Motors and is currently undergoing a water crisis. What Rust Belt city am I talking about? 
Question number two. Cleveland, Ohio is best known for manufacturing, the Browns, and that one episode of 30 Rock where they went to the Cleve. But it's probably best known around here for its river being accidentally set on fire 13 times because of such heavy industrial pollution. What is the name of the river that spurred pop songs and the modern environmental movement? Question number three. The city of Gary, Indiana is also a ghost town thanks to the reduction of industry in the 1960s. This may have been part of the reason why this famous family went into music, ultimately creating the biggest pop singer who ever lived. Who is this king from Gary? Question number four. John Waters frequently uses this Rust Belt city and his hometown as the backdrop for many of his movies, where the impenetrable accent is used to great comedic effect. What charm city am I talking about? Question number five. Listen, you yinzer. Pittsburgh, PA is one of the greatest cities in the U.S., according to at least half of this podcast. But can you name this novelist, poet, playwright, art collector, and Paracelon host, who was born in Pittsburgh and started Picasso's career, wrote the autobiography of Alice B. Toklas, and was played by Kathy Bates in the movie Midnight in Paris? Question number six. Detroit is the motor city, as we all know, and the largest city in the state of Michigan. But what record label, started by Barry Gordy, was founded in Detroit? Question number seven. This Midwest state capital is named after a founding father and is the home of the headquarters of Land's End and has been named one of the best college sports towns in the nation. What is this mad city? Question number eight. Milwaukee is known for its many breweries, many of which aren't, shall we say, high-end. What is the name of the beer and brewery known as, quote, the beer that made Milwaukee famous? Here's a hint. If you removed one letter from the name, it would not be allowed on TV, and it might remind you of a fantastic Canadian TV comedy. Question number nine. Wheeling, West Virginia, or the Friendly City, is a Rust Belt town that was a major manufacturing center in the early 20th century and lies along the Ohio River at the foothills of what major mountain system in the eastern U.S.? And finally, question number 10. I'm going to name four things, and you're going to tell me if they're a Rust Belt thing or something I made up. One, Mary on the Half Shell. Two, Polish Porch. Three, Mistake on the Lake. And four, Polonia. We'll give you a minute to think about it, and we'll be right back with your answers. The bills make me wanna shout. Kick your heels up and shout. Throw your hands up and shout. Throw your head back and shout. Come on now. to crush this okay i'm so excited yeah all right question number one this seventh largest city in michigan is the birthplace of general motors and is currently undergoing a water crisis what rust belt city am i talking about flint that is flint it is still in a water crisis which is insane and to help the city get clean water and help rectify the watershed there visit the website of flint river watershed coalition flintriver.org 
You can donate money there too. Question number two, Cleveland, Ohio is best known for manufacturing the Browns and that one episode of 30 Rock when they went to the Cleve, but it's probably best known around here for its river being accidentally set on fire 13 times because of such heavy industrial pollution. What is the name of the river that spurred pop songs and the modern environmental movement? It's the Cuyahoga. It is the mighty Cuyahoga. In 1968, Cleveland residents overwhelmingly passed a 100 million bond initiative to fund the Cuyahoga's cleanup since the city by that time became the poster child for environmental pollution. The fire is referred to in Randy Newman's 1972 song, Burn On, R.E.M.'s 1986 song, Cuyahoga, The Simpsons episode, Lemon of Troy, and Adam Again's 1992 song, River on Fire. Great Lakes Brewing Company also created a beer called Burning River. (laughs) Question number three. The city of Gary, Indiana is also a ghost town, thanks to the reduction of industry in the 1960s. This may have been part of the reason why this famous family went into music, ultimately creating the biggest pop singer who ever lived. Who is this king from Gary? That's Michael Jackson. It is Michael Jackson. Other notable people from Gary, Indiana include astronaut Frank Borman and actor Avery Brooks from Deep Space Nine. Question number four, John Waters frequently uses this Rust Belt city and his hometown as the backdrop for many of his movies, where the impenetrable accent is used to great comedic effect. What Charm City am I talking about? That's Balmer. That's Balmer. Home of the Orioles, Charm City Cakes, Edgar Allan Poe, Frederick Douglass, and Babe Ruth. And a bunch of terrible things. Oh, and a bunch of terrible things, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) You're just naming like all the cities that I am like enemies with. That you hate? That you hate? Well, (laughs) this one... Listen, you Yinzer, Pittsburgh, PA is one of the greatest cities in the U.S., according to at least half of this podcast. But can you name this novelist, poet, playwright, art collector, and Paracelon host who was born in Pittsburgh and started Picasso's career, wrote the autobiography of Alice B. Toklas, and who was played by Kathy Bates in the movie Midnight in Paris. Is that Gertrude Stein? It is Gertrude Stein. She was born in Pittsburgh and raised in Oakland, California. Uh, Stein spent most of her adult life in Paris with her life partner, Alice B. Toklas, and her brother, Leo, who is also an art collector and salon host. They hosted leading figures of modernism in literature and art, such as Pablo Picasso, Ernest Hemingway, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Sinclair Lewis, Ezra Pound, Sherwood Anderson, and Henri Matisse. A real who's who. A real who's who of modernists. Question number six. Detroit is the Motor City, as we all know, and the largest city in the state of Michigan. But what record label, started by Barry Gordy, was founded in Detroit? That's Motown, baby. It is Motown. It is uh, Motown also refers to Detroit as a whole um, and the sound the label made famous, Motown sound. Notable acts on Motown records include Smokey Robinson, The Temptations, The Supremes, The Jackson 5, Gladys Knight and the Pips, and Rick James. I always say, uh, sidebar, please, that if you're like, you have like a car full of people you don't know yep. that you have to drive somewhere for mm-hmm. you know work or something or like you were having a party and it's people from all different ages and places and stuff the motown is like the best music to put on just it's because it's very yeah yeah everybody knows the songs mm-hmm. nobody ever has anything bad to say no you're like oh i remember this like you can dance to it yeah. you can sing along to it you mm-hmm. can listen to it not objectionable at no. all and it's great no one's like ugh I hate this Motown sound. (laughs) No one says that. (laughs) Question number seven. This Midwest state capital is named after a founding father and is the home of the headquarters of Land's End and has been named one of the best college sports towns in the nation. What is this mad city? (sighs) Okay. All right. So here's where I went off the rails. Okay. Okay. So you said Midwest city. Yes. Named after a founding father. Yes. 
sports city. Sports College city. sports? College sports. Midwest. Um, I mean, I, I guess I'd say Madison, Wisconsin. It is Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, Madison has historically been a center for progressive political activity, protests, and demonstrations, most notably during the Vietnam War. Uh, the presence of the University of Wisconsin-Madison, which is the largest employer in the state, as well as other educational institutions, has a significant impact on the economy, culture, and demographics of Madison because of the sports. Ah. Great job. You're doing great. <laughs> Question number eight. Milwaukee is known for its many breweries, many of which aren't, shall we say, High end. What is the name of the beer and brewery known as the beer that made Milwaukee famous? Here's a hint. If you removed one letter from the name, it wouldn't be allowed on TV, and it might remind you of a fantastic Canadian TV comedy. <laughs> it's Schlitz. It is Schlitz. Because, here's the thing. I can't ever remember if it's a real thing or not. Oh, yeah. Like, I know, I it sounds like it's fake. <laughs> <laughs> Schlitz doesn't sound like a real thing. It was originally advertised with the slogan, when you're out of Schlitz, you're out of beer, which is like, <laughs> what? I guess. I guess. I guess you're right. <laughs> Schlitz first became the largest beer producer in the U.S. in 1902 and enjoyed that status at several points during the first half of the 20th century, exchanging the title with Anheuser-Busch multiple times during the 50s. Schlitz was bought by Stroh Brewery Company in 1982 and subsequently sold along with the rest of Stroh's assets to Pabst Brewing Company in 99. Pabst now produces the recently relaunched Schlitz Gusto beer in Old Milwaukee. Gross. Mm. It is currently owned by Blue Ribbon. Okay. Uh, question number nine. Wheeling, West Virginia, or the Friendly City, is a Rust Belt town that was a major manufacturing center in the early 20th century and lies along the Ohio River at the foothills of what major mountain system in the eastern U.S.? The Appalachian. It is the Appalachian Mountains. The mountain range is mostly in the United States, but it extends into southeastern Canada, forming a zone from 100 to 300 miles, or 160 to 480 kilometers wide, running from the island of Newfoundland, 1,500 miles southwestward to central Alabama in the United States. The range covers parts of the islands of St. Pierre and Miquelon, which comprise an overseas territory of France, which means the Appalachians run through three countries. That's cool. It is cool. All right. Question number 10. I'm going to name four things, and you're going to tell me if they're a Rust Belt thing or not, or something I made up. All right. Number one, Mary on the half shell. Mary on the half shell? Mary on the half shell. Uh, real. It is real. It's that... Um, that a, yard decoration a of Mary in, statue inside with of a, a bathtub. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Uh, Polish porch. I feel like this is something your dad would say as like... <laughs> as like a, as a derogatory, as like a derogatory term. term. <laughs> as a pejorative. Like, look at that Polish porch. <laughs> um, I'll say real. It is real. Uh, my grandparents used to have one. A Polish porch is when you... Um, it, you take off the garage door or you like lift up the garage door and you put up a screen across the front of it uh -huh. and you use it as like an outdoor like living room okay. during the summer. And my grandparents had that. They had a Polish porch all summer and they had a bar in the back and a TV and like outdoor furniture on the, in the garage. Wow. It was great. All of, all the family reunions were in the Polish porch. <laughs> Mistake on the lake. I mean, that's real. That's Cleveland. <laughs> Well, apparently, in the 70s, for a hot minute, that was Buffalo. <laughs> Buffalo was the mistake on the lake. 
<laughs> but for longer, Cleveland was known as yeah. the mistake on the lake. <laughs> sorry, Cleveland. I'm sorry, Julia isn't. Um, <laughs> and and Polonia. How do you spell that? P O L O N I A. Sure. Yeah, Polonia is the po- Polish neighborhood of Buffalo. Ah. It's Polonia. Um, there, there are also set Polonias in Cleveland and you know Detroit and oh, all okay. sorts of places. So Polonia is just like a common term for the Polish portion of a city. Awesome. Uh, often used pejoratively. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> like, like, oh yeah, Greg, he's from Polonia. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Yikes. I apologize for anybody that Lauren is offended this episode. What are you talking about? If anything. <laughs> You have insulted more Rust Belt cities than I have. <laughs> so you hate a lot of a lot of them <laughs> historically. Yeah, that's true. Um, so yeah, that was my quick and dirty Great on, job on Buffalo, New York. Great job. Come visit us. <laughs> Buy a house. They're cheap. Very cheap. Very cheap. Oh my mm, god! In the summer, it's so beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Not as much pollution as Cleveland, that's for sure. So. One for us. Shuffle on up to Buffalo. Shuffle on up to Buffalo. Um, So it's the end of February, so you know what that means. Next week is Geek Bowl. We will be in Chicago. We will be in Chicago. Chicago. Where I will blend in beautifully with my Chicago accent. Uh, yeah. So it, again, we want to remind you that we're going to be having our extrivaganza, a mixer of podcasts and Illuminati. Yes. Um, that on will be Thursday, March 5th, Thursday, March if 5th. If you haven't already just gone to the Eventbrite page and signed up, it's a free event. We were just trying to get, everybody was trying to get a, an idea of the number of people yep. that are coming. So that'll help us with planning purposes. Um, so yeah, I'm sure. Pfft, I'm sure if you're going to Geek Bowl and you were excited for this, you already bought a ticket. Yeah. Or, oops, sorry, you already signed up for to go. But but just as an FYI, we are, there's going to be karaoke. There's going to be dancing. There's going to be t-shirts. There's going to be your fave podcasters, Julie and me. There's going to be <laughs> uh, swag. Also, yeah. the boys from Triviality, yep. um, Complete the List, mm-hmm. uh, Sports Trivia Face-Off, Something Something Birds, and of course, Trivial Warfare. Yep. Jonathan and Carmela will be coming from Trivial Warfare. And uh, yeah, come say hi at the very least. We're going to be there all night just kind of like hanging out you'll, and having a good you'll time. You'll recognize us. We'll be. Yeah, we're, we're going to have t-shirts. You'll on. see us. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have t-shirts on. We will be wearing t-shirts. <laughs> uh, we're not giving away t-shirts. We don't make as much money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have to buy those t-shirts, guys. Um, so yeah, please come. If you're coming, please come and say hello to us. Even if you're not coming to that event, come say hello to us. We're going to be around in Chicago all yeah. weekend. Um, we'll be at Geek Bowl. Our team name is uh, Windy City Trash Ghost. Table 42. Table 42. We're very excited. Come stop by. Get a sticker from us. We're getting stickers and buttons and things. So we'll have a swag to give away. Um, so uh, thanks so much for listening, guys. Uh, uh, do you want to do our favorite segment of 2020? Oh, oh, I forgot about Germ's Corner. I'm so sorry, Germ. Oh, sure. I was like, I guess we could. I guess we, we could, could leave. The podcast oh, no. Now. Okay, okay. No. Fine. And you know what? Uh, Germ, I'm so sorry. Okay. Here we go. Favorite segment <laughs> that I forgot about momentarily. <laughs> Germ's, Germ's Corner. That was good. Um, today's Germ's Corner. There are no snakes in Hawaii. Also, it's illegal to own a ferret, a hamster, or a gerbil. <laughs> Thank you, Germ. Thank you, Germ. <laughs> Uh, again, I'm sorry, Germ. 
That was totally on me. <laughs> Julie remembered I did not. Um, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our show. Tell a friend. Tell a friend. Yeah. And uh, now we will catch you next time. Yes. Goodbye. Bye. The bills make me wanna Shout! Yeah. However, unlike the Bills, the Sabres do not have a league championship, having lost the 1975 Stanley Cup to the Philadelphia Flowers. The Philadelphia Flowers. The Philadelphia Flowers. What a beautiful... Oh, they're so lovely. Oh, they're so nice. They're not mean. There's no bullies. (laughs) Their mascot is not a (laughs) meth-addicted trash person. (laughs) 